Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host, and this is part two of my interview, although it's not really an interview, it's more of a discussion with TV comedy writer Rob Long. If you missed part one, after you listen to this one, go back and check that one out as well. Like I said, this is not so much an interview, but it's almost like you're sitting at a deli with me and Rob as we discuss uh, the industry, the state of the industry, what makes for a good sitcom, so much interesting stuff, and uh, a lot of fun stories along the way. Rob Long began his writing career by going on staff of Cheers when he was only 24 years old, and he since has gone on to have a long and distinguished career. Part two, Rob Long, right now on Hollywood and Levine. You talked about David Lloyd saying, or he should have said, here, just show it to me. Do you remember an instance where David and I did that? I had been calling minor league baseball, and I was in a bar one night, and two guys, as fast as they could, recited the lyrics to Hot Rod Lincoln. Yes. Okay, and the bar, everyone in the bar yes. cheered, and it was like this big thing. And I thought, oh, oh this my god, is like yeah. a great thing for Norman Cliff. So we write it into the script. You know, we we pitched it out to all you guys, and you guys said, okay, try it. And we pitched it out, and they said, we can't envision how this is going to work. Why don't you guys for the table reading? Oh, do it. Oh, I do remember that. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> and and, oh, and then God. and then we'll see. It's oh, like, God, I'm, I'm like having PTSD right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, table read. Once you start. <laughs> you got to go for the whole two and a half. The whole two and I and do half remember days. that. Okay. Oh, shit. I do this remember that. laid the biggest bomb yeah. ever at, at a table reading. And, and when it was over, the... The silence. <laughs> yeah. Just you want to crawl up your own asshole. <laughs> if you possibly could do that, that's what you would do. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I think I, I don't remember. I've suppressed I all you, those I memories. I think you yeah. bastards cut it after that. I, I think, think we did. But you know, here's the thing. I will say this. I, I think that the, when you when you're when it, the, the benefit of a show like Cheers is a lot of things just kind of happen and the actors are great and everything's you – know, there's this wonderful feeling and people are really give, doing their all – the, the other thing that happens is everyone kind of just – it's a system that works, so you start to love the system so much. And the idea that we would say, okay, okay I, I, look, I know that this bombed at the table, but they 
they saw it and it was funny once and tomorrow they're going to come to the stage and they're going to show you like that's the kind of like loose structure that a show like cheers just we didn't have because we're like oh come on it's cheers right we'll just we'll come up with something else and 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 there's a system. The system is we don't go to the stage really until there's a run through and then we go and hang out and then that's it. And then the actors rarely come into the office. Every now and then they do just a chit chat and then that's it. It's very collegial, nice, but nobody ever really breaks the protocol. And in that, a newer show, I bet you, you would have just, we would have just said, no, no, we're going to try it. Can we just try it? Um, and I actually have found in other shows I've done when they're early in their run, that that's actually a really valuable thing to do to like, to say, okay, this, this died, but just, just indulge me. And then if it really doesn't work, then you can, then you can famously flop and say, gather everybody around fellas. I am really sorry. I'm going to go and take sleeping pills. Um, <laughs> but if it does work, then you're like, see, I think that, you know, cause I always say this to people when, when, uh, when I so when I'm when I'm just watching when it's something I've written because I I was I make the same mistakes when I write but it's like you know the audience doesn't read the script we don't send it to them they don't know what was in the script they it's a, they, they watch a show that's the they turn on the show and they watch a show so you see writers going to the run through and their heads are down at their script they're watching the script you know like I do that when casting sometimes I had a casting director say um Rob it's not a quiz to see if they're reading the sides correctly. You have to look at them. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. And like when you remember this a show, like this weird thing that on the page looks terrible could be killer. It could just kill and be one of those memories that people, that people when they, well, they'll stop you and say, were you working on the show when they sang Hot Rod Lincoln? And they're like, yeah, in fact, I, uh, I, 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 I pitched that. That's fine. That's what I would say. i wrote all the funny stuff no that's true especially when you write scripts where the laughs come out of character and out of attitude so they're not jokes on the page so unless you can visualize what it's going to sound and look like right you're going to read the script and go this isn't funny get it yeah yeah you know what's so funny about this and I feel like I did this once. I was teaching a class, and I I I brought in a table reading, a table reading draft of a, of a Cheers episode, and then the shooting script. So just you know, five six days later, mm-hmm. and it wasn't that changed. It wasn't that different. It wasn't like we threw out the story or anything. It was the same story, same joke, same act break, same everything. Just just slightly better, slightly you know different. Um, but the the actual writing in the shooting script, what was actually said and performed. If you read that, it's almost it's almost like it doesn't make any sense. It's like weirdly brittle and there aren't that many long sentences and everything's kind of it's like there's one word here and there that's just like this is a word. And that just shows you how the process goes. It really is about the performance. I mean, writers, we hate to hear that, but it really is. And so when you actually look at what's on the page, the transcript of the performance, sometimes it's completely, completely uh, uh, incomprehensible. Even though you start from a, you know, you're writing every line, you're writing every feeling, you're writing every moment. Then later on, you don't have to write any of that stuff. I mean, you know, how much stuff do we have to write for, for Kelsey? Not much. Yeah, I mean, exactly. He could do long speeches, but he could also kind of cock an eyebrow and say two words. Did you get spoiled 
as a result of working on Cheers? Because, as you said, you've got great actors performing your stuff every week. Yeah. And then you go out in the real world <laughs> and you're doing your own shows. <laughs> right, right, right. And you're just going, oh, my God. Uh, yeah. <laughs> She's um, very cute, but she just cannot get a laugh. There's a, there was a, there's a, yeah, there's, there's a, yeah, there's a, there's a, good casting is lightning in a bottle anyway. So you're lucky, even if you're doing, even if you're lucky, you're, you're, you're not even there yet. If you, if you have a great cast, you sometimes it doesn't work together, whatever it is. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like we were spoiled, definitely. But then I also feel like the system, the system can really work. If like the, the, I, maybe I'm just like a uh, too much of a you know system kind of guy, but like I, I actually feel like if everybody did the system, the, if we did it all the Cheers way, you know, with the Cheers attitude and that, so that MTM pattern of like writing, breaking the story, writing the story, writing the second draft, going to the tape, doing the mimic, going to the table, doing all. That. If you actually follow the the, the pattern, you're gonna get the best possible show that you can. Now, it's still not be, it might be a great show, but it won't be because the system fell apart. I mean, the system actually brings out the best in all those phases. And as I, to me, whenever the show isn't working and it should be, um, it's because they're skipping it. There's, there's a step in there that's skipping. And I don't, I don't, I don't know why, but I just, I mean, you know, I probably, you probably went on those, those, those productions. You're like, wait a minute, this is, you're missing a step here. Why didn't you just, you could like a, why, why don't you sit after the thing and tell the actors what you want? Why don't, if you don't, if on Thursday run through, if you don't see it, ask them to do it one more time. I mean, I've never, I've never seen an act. I mean, I had, I worked with incredible, really some great people and some incredibly new people. And nobody minded doing it one more time to show me that it didn't work or to show me that it did work. And then sometimes the the, the, the reverse happens. You go, you see a run through and it doesn't work. The scene is, is dead. And then the actors say, please let me do it one more time. Please. It does work. We heard it. Please. And then you have to let them do it. You have to, you just have to, you know, let people try. Exactly. So I don't know. I, I, to me, I'm a huge, huge, a huge believer in the system. If you just did it, just go back to the basic process and then you'll find out what you've really got. You know, another advantage of seeing the scene is, is you know, because the actors, and I've been a director, so I, I see this from the other side. There's a scene they don't like and they don't want to do. Right. So you tell them, okay, but the writers have to see it. But their inclination is to tank it because <laughs> they don't want to do it. And then the writers say, okay, it's fine. Right, right. And you tell them, no, you you can't do that because when they see the scene, it might tell them what's wrong with it. It might give them an idea of how to fix it. Or there might be three jokes that are worth saving in that scene, but they have to at least see it. And as a director, that's always a big task is to get the actors to really commit to it just really yeah do your best okay we are not going to make you do this in front of the cameras but for now take three it's, minutes yeah and actually do the scene and the process will reveal what's not working and it, i mean if everybody approaches it you know in a disinterested way i'm just going to watch it and evaluate 
um, the process will reveal it. If you stick to the process, it does it really well. I think that's true. I mean, I, I've had those experiences where you're like, can I just see it? And then it's like, oh boy, you, you guys were right. This stinks. Or wait a minute. What if you just did it the other way? What if you come in and instead of coming in with a plan, you don't get the plan until you actually sit down and drink the beer. And like sometimes it's a small thing. I remember like Jimmy once, or maybe it was you said about Ted Danson, who's just incredibly wonderful, but pure intuition. Like he's a purely intuitive actor. And, and he, you know, the, the, the most, I actually told Ted this, so I don't, you know, I'm not speaking on the turn. The most, uh, confusing conversations you can have in your life are talking to Ted Danson about a scene that he's in that is not working <laughs> and him trying to explain what's wrong. Cause he doesn't, he doesn't, he can't he, articulate it. He can't articulate. It just feels wrong to him. And so when he tries to articulate it, you can, you can be let off in the wrong direction. All you need to know is there's something wrong with that scene. If it's not making it through his authenticizer, which is incredibly powerful, um, then it's got, you got to change it because he's right. He, he not be, he not be specifically right that it's when he picks up the pen, but whatever it is, he's right that there's something off. And um, I don't know, you, that you, when you have people like that, you got to listen to them. You don't always have people like that, but I mean, there were, yeah. you work with some people who, who didn't have those skills. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> no, we've been very fortunate that we've had yeah. the other side too. A mixed bag, yeah. Yeah. Another cast that, that was truly great, and I would imagine without putting words in your mouth that the uh, highlight of your career was working with us on Big Wave Dave's. Yeah, well, it was. It was definitely a highlight of our career. But think about that cast. We had Jane Kaczmarek, Kurtwood Smith. Right. Adam Arkin, uh, David Morse, Patrick Breen. Patrick, right. right. Yeah. I don't think you and, – and then the, the day player that you hired to do the walk-on cop role, the local cop. So an actual ethnic Hawaiian, right, who I don't think had worked since Jack Lord, right? Right. Or maybe he had. I don't know. And, but it, certainly there was no com- – I remember that. It was no comedy on his resume. He comes in and he kills. Mm-hmm. He kills. I mean, this guy walks in. He's just basically supposed to be the local cop. He comes in five lines and he goes, right? He comes in and he's so funny that I remember walking back to the room and everybody's saying, okay, well, that, he's a series regular. Like that guy, he's going to be in every episode soon. Like he's funny. That's a, a funny foil, different kind of color for the show. And it was great. Yeah. And David Morse, like David Morse was genuinely funny. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Kurtwood Smith, then I mean, you know, Kurtwood Smith was was, was 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 had played a heavy in his career, and then discovered comedy on Big Wave Dave's, and then you know went on to. There's some actually, actors yeah. you probably have had this too, where I I saw the movie RoboCop, right, and that's the first time I had seen Kurtwood Smith, and. You're right. He played a heavy. It's a very dramatic role. But I remember thinking to myself, oh, my God, I want to work with that guy someday. That guy is going to really be funny. And when we created that character, I thought, look, Kurtwood Smith. And he really? Wow. That's amazing. He came in and, and he killed. And David Morse was completely... Uh, 
you know, a, a left field pick because he had never done comedy. And I remember when we went to the network to try to get him approved, he did his scene and everybody laughed and he walked out of the room and the network president, Jeff Zagansky said, man, I don't know. He's like never done comedy before. And, um, God bless him. Tim Stack, who was the VP right. of comedy development, said, I don't understand what we're talking about here. We all laughed. <laughs> we, totally we, right. we all laughed. Totally right. And totally then right. Jeff said, yeah, okay, okay. And also, there's some people in some roles. I mean, the, the, the part he played on, on Big Wave Dave's, um, you, you didn't want a guy who was funny. Right. You want a guy who was 100% committed. Mm-hmm. You, you 100 percent. He wasn't Mork. He was like he had to be deadly serious and earnest and, and unwavering, which is, of course, what he was in, in um, that 70 show. He's, that was a great performance of that 70 show. It was the same thing. It was like absolutely unwavering. And then um, and I think that's where the funny comes from, that, that like uh, people who don't bend. Like I'm trying to think of like uh, I've, I've had that experience where you find somebody who's just the reason they're funny is because they just or just a hundred percent straight down the middle. Um, Nicolas Santo, are, who played the coach. Yeah, right. Okay. Again, right. a guy who played heavies for most of his career, including raging bull. But the thing about the coach is, you know, he never saw the joke coming. Right. right. <laughs> you know? right. I mean, the character was just so committed to who he was. Right. That he had no idea that he was being funny. No, all right, and that that of course that was you know that's the, always the killer when they're like oh I I can I can make the I can do this funny like no don't do this funny but there, there aren't that many people I think in terms of all the people who are on screen who can actually make something funny you know Kelsey can make something funny right um, yeah, but everybody right. else has to just really act and just be a hundred percent that thing and that's you know if you're lucky that's 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 a huge win and and Kurt Wood's definitely yeah, the guy leave. yeah yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. That thing, very funny. Yeah. So, so you guys like perform manic performance energy. <laughs> so after Cheers, which should have been a series all itself. Well, I, uh, yeah, I think I think that had been tried, Ken, and just had been found that that that, that model had been found wanting. But I mean, so, but remember, they were pitching that. I mean, the, the network was pitching that to us. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Norman Cliff and well, uh, I remember. Uh, someone who go go nameless at NBC saying, you know what, you know what I, you know, you know what my fantasy is. Norman Vera, the 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 family down the street, the parents are killed in a horrible car accident, but they're dead. It, this all happens before the show, so you know, um, they're dead, and they they have five kids, six kids, and they're all orphans, all different ages, and they uh, they move in with uh, Norman Vera. That's <laughs> that's a show called Fish. It literally, it's a show called Fish. <laughs> Yeah. Well, there was a time when NBC had Sanford and Son and both Sanford and Son left the show and they changed it to the Sanford Arms and brought in new people. It's like right. it's like they renewed the set. <laughs> and not even that cuz they made it like a B&B, right? It's like they didn't yeah. even, they yeah. renewed renewed one word of the title. <laughs> but on the other hand, that could have I mean, I still like I'm such a 
I, I basically think anything can work. You know, when you read the log lines and deadline or whatever, this this pilot, this pilot, and like there's a tendency to say, oh, that's the word. Never gonna. That's just terrible. I don't know. It could work. I don't know if it's funny. I don't know. But what if it's funny? What if you? I don't know. Make it funny. Make it. You know, get a good cast and make it funny, and then nobody cares what the setup is. Right. Oh well, wait a minute. This show was supposed to be about that. They're mismatched things, and they're who cares. Yes, put them on screen. Let me see them do their thing. And if I like it, I'll watch it next week, too. On the other hand, as you were saying, how important casting is, because everything else you can fix. Yeah. But right. if you have the wrong guy in a role, you can write the most brilliant comedy, and it's all going to die a horrible death. And I remember at one point, you and Dan uh, did a pilot for a show, which eventually got on the air and became a series. You guys had a run of, of the Emmy award-winning love and money. What? You're bringing the Emmy award-winning love and money. Yes. Yes. Uh, love and award for, for a set, I believe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so we came down the first day, we were helping you guys out with the pilot and we were very excited because Frank Langella <laughs> was the star of the show. Now, I'm, yeah. I'm a huge <laughs> admirer of Frank Langella and his work. We were excited about that. Tony Awards and everything else. Sure. And it's like, wow, you guys got Tony Langella, or Frank Langella, rather. Um, you got him to yeah. actually be in a sitcom. And then we went down and we watched it. And it was like, oh, my God. Right, right. <laughs> And he had a lot of notes for you guys, right? Yes, he had many notes, um, including that it all had to be changed. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, look, I mean, the thing, here, this is a, another very instructive moment, right? Because what we really had there was just the culture problem, is that what we were doing was an ensemble comedy about, a, about two families and a, a rich family. It was, this is like the most old-fashioned show we ever did, and we did a bunch of old-fashioned shows. I still think this show would be a hit. Um, sometimes these shows canceled and you're like, yeah, yeah, I, 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 I accept that. And sometimes it's canceled. And you're like, God damn you fuckers. You stole from me. And that one I think really could have, could have worked. Um, rich girl, she's getting married to a rich guy on her wedding day. And she's freaking out. And she locks herself in the, in the bathroom of the big pantal she lives in father played by David Ogden Stiers, who was wonderful. But eventually, hold on. <laughs> Spoiler yeah. alert. Spoiler alert. The father was played by David <laughs> Eichenstein. Um, calls down to the stairs to the, um, uh, to the super and says, get, get up here and I got to get my daughter out. Now, what he doesn't know is that the super is now the young son, the son of the doorman who, uh, who had an affair one summer with his daughter. And they were basically, they fell in love one summer. And they're still kind of, and they still kind of in love with each other, but they've taken different paths. But now he's back, and and so he he's the one who has to get her out of the uh, out of the bathroom in her wedding dress to go and get married to the loser, the Princeton loser from Princeton, who's there waiting. Um, romantic comedy, simple, right? But it's a romantic comedy at the heart, and families on the outside. And I think Frank discovered on what he didn't discover when he read the script, which is normal. Because when actors read the script, they read it this way. They go through the pages, bullshit, 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 me, 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 bullshit, 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 me, me. That's what they do. So they just see them. They just see what they do. And when he got on stage, he realized, oh, my God, I have three big scenes. But the whole point of this show is this love story. And I'm not in it. I'm the foil. 
And my wife, played by Susie Kurtz, who was fantastic, she's mm-hmm. getting a lot of laughs too. And this is an ensemble, and my God, I don't want to be an, I want to be the star. And so his notes afterwards were just really basically about how, in fact, he went through the script. This is the most amazing thing. He went through the script with us, why it didn't work. He went, here, here, let me just uh, I'll go to the script with you fellows. We sat in his trailer after the run through. You know, uh, page one. I get information, page two, I, I, I give some information here, I receive some information, page three and four, I, I'm not in, page five, there's some more information. I'm like, well, Frank, that is literally the definition of a dramatic piece, is people giving and getting information. I mean, if you want to look at it that way, Hamlet is people getting, in, you know, King Lear is people giving and getting information. Um, and it was just clear, he just, we, he just didn't want to do that. And what he wanted to do was take over and I think that's kind of his style. And, I, you know, the lesson I learned was that I spent a year or two afterwards. Well, anyway, so the finish was we sat with him in the trailer. We went back to our, 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 our office. We sat with the director, Pam Fryman, who was really, I mean, when you get a great pilot director, a lot of times it's because they can just put the show on the feet and it's great. But some other times it's because they give you really good advice and they were really right there to kind of like guide you. She said, he's never going to do what you had, what happened today is going to happen every week. He's never going to do this. You're going to have to rewrite the series for him. And uh, we just didn't want to do it. So, which is too bad, kind of hurt our show. Definitely hurt this, the, the, the political chances of our show at CBS because they had a big star and they were very excited about him. And I had to call them that night and say, you know, we, 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 we got to get rid of him. I mean, he basically, he said, basically, he said the words, I can't play this as written, which is sort of contractually, um, violation of his contract which was he signed a contract saying i will play this as written <laughs> right so mm-hmm. um you know within reason right so uh so we got and then david ogden cyrus and, and then we were so they were very they were not happy about it and and i had to call him up and say listen this isn't gonna work i think he was really surprised um but then the next morning i walk onto stage i had to get the you know, get there for the table reading because i some major things have happened here and um, I get there, and of course, the whole cast knows what's happened. And they're sitting at the table, and I, this has never happened before. And I walk in, and they applaud. Wow. And everyone applauds. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. So we made, I said, I guess we made the right decision. Everybody's nodding. Because apparently it was as miserable as it was for us to watch. It was miserable for them to do and to be there. And, you know, it's a glorious cast. We loved all of those. They're all terrific. It's just that, we, you know, the show didn't work. Or it didn't, they didn't let it work. Um, but it was too, but uh, I'll give, say, well, I'm now going on too long, so feel free to interrupt me. But the lesson I learned, I think, was that after that, for about a year and a half, I just would see Frank Langella in stuff. And then he was in Frost Nixon. And I would be like, he's not good. Oh, I don't, I don't think that's any good. <laughs> Is that any good? And and like, I think we do that in show business a lot. And, and no, he's great. My God, he's he's fantastic. But he wasn't right for this, and he wasn't right for this ensemble. And he knew it, and we knew it. And um, unfortunately, that had to happen. I'm sure he, you know, I'm sure he's not nearly as gracious about the experience as I am being about the experience. But that's okay too. But you know he's a terrific actor. Just it just wasn't right. He was well. He was a, he was going to be a jerk for uh, a long time. Yeah. Um, for many years, people in Los Angeles are aware of you not just because you're a writer, 
but because <laughs> you, had, you had for what, 16 years? 16 you, years. You did commentaries on yeah. the local NPR station in Los Angeles, KCRW. You did a feature called Martini Shots, which was like a three-minute uh, commentary, you know, kind of an Andy Rooney type of thing about the entertainment industry. How did that come about? And that kind of took on a life of its own, didn't it? Yeah, I think it. Um, I was at a party for something, like a book party or something, and Ruth uh, uh, Seymour, but she changed her name, Ruth, the woman who basically the impresario owner, creator of KCRW, this kind of powerhouse in public radio, national public radio, um, incredible, incredible, um, incredible, like, entrepreneur. I don't know what, what the way to put it. You know, a hippie woman in the 60s who was uh, on a Greek island and suddenly got the, and really from L.A. and suddenly got this idea that what she really want Ru- Ruth Hershenson, Ruth Hershenson, yeah. She suddenly got the idea to... Um, to, to go back to, to L.A. and to do Santa Monica City College radio, which is what, what it was. She bat, she, but she's like a force, right? So she kind of walked up to me and she said, uh, you, you, should, uh, we need your, you should do political commentary for us. Um, because she had been, she, in her credit, she had been one of the people who was complaining as a member of the you know, public radio community, who had complaining that it may be a little too one-sided politically. And that she thought that I was going to like come on and do three minutes of like, uh, you know, I don't know, a young Republican talk, which <laughs> I was never going to do. And I said, listen, I'm never going to do that. I, I have no interest in doing that. And I, said, I explained to her, I said, look, you said, put yourself in the position of the person driving home, which is when you want to put this on. Mm-hmm. It's news, 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 news. And now we're going to take a little break for three minutes, three and a half minutes. Then, then officially four minutes. But, you know, four, mm-hmm. and, and, and we're going to hear someone tell you their opinion about the news. Who gives a fuck? Like, I'm driving home. I don't want to hear this bullshit thing. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Tell me a funny story. Give me a little funny story. Right. And so she kind of said, what is it? What would it even be? And I said, well, a funny story about you. We're, we're here in the middle of L.A. And there's nothing on your, on your station about show business. Not, I don't mean like movie reviews. I mean like nothing about the thing that everyone pretty much is doing here. And, and she kind of was persuaded by that. So she let me do a week uh, as an experiment. And then she liked it. And I had uh, a bunch of titles. I forget what they were. But I said, and it's also like the last shot of the day, they called a martini shot. Said, yes, that's the title, martini shot. And I'm like, okay. And, uh, and that was it, really. I, I, we went to lunch at Sloop's Deli on Main Street in Santa, in Santa Monica. And then she told me, yes, okay, that. We're going to do that. And that's kind of how she ran the station. And then I just started doing it. And I just... I just started doing it and I, I never thought it like it's the best kind of performance because you don't see anybody. So you can say things that are maybe a little bit embarrassing, but you don't see anybody. So how embarrassing could it be? And, you know, I never hear it. I never heard it once. If I was ever in the car and it was almost about to be on, I would always turn something else on. I never listened to them. Um, so, you know, they start getting free and you start telling longer stories and then people start rem- remembering stuff. And then people call you and tell you, I got a lot of like people saying, here's a story you can use. And they would usually just like ways to get scores, to settle some scores for their boss. Like he's, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, uh, but I was a like, couple of, of our stories. Alone. Oh, I think I stole from you yeah. guys a lot. I think, yeah. 
<laughs> I think I, I think I stole. I think you guys. I think I stole from you guys. But I think I rewrote the endings to be better. <laughs> I think I gave you. I think I gave you better endings than actually happened. Um, the one I remember that I still I'm gonna use again. Uh, that I don't know why. I don't want my. I have to go back and see what the response was. Um, for, this is Big Wave Days. Okay. The Big Wave Days. You tell me if you had to run. But nope. I don't think you've told this story. Big Wave Daves, uh, where uh, it's an air, it's basically an air, a B, airplane B story. Uh, uh, poor Adam Arkin has got to go back and forth from Chicago to Hawaii, back and forth to Chicago to Hawaii, and he's just miserable. And he's like, it's, uh, it's every time. It's the middle seat. It's a fat lady. And it's a crying baby. And it's funny because you hear about it. And then the tag is... He's there, and then we just shot one shot, a lockdown shot. He's there in the middle seat as a crying baby and a fat lady. And his line is, well, I see that we're all here, which is a fun line, right? He's a very funny actor. Uh, so we had to shoot that in the morning. So we get there in the morning. Basically, we say to you know, and the fat lady doesn't say anything. So it's basically the first AD casts the non-speaking roles, and she's not that fat. And we're sort of standing there. I don't really, you know, I'm just here as a consultant. And you, because you're the showrunner, turn to Dave and say, she fat enough? <laughs> I don't think she's fat enough. Dave's like, yeah, no, she's not. I don't think she's fat enough. Just, ah, what are we going to do? And you're right. Because like, if she, I mean, we're shooting this right now. Now, we did have, at that point, a driver, uh, dry, you know, film loader driver, uh, 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 a woman of enormous... Uh, gifts and size very very large lady very 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 large lady but she wasn't on screen she was behind us so someone had to go up to her and say hey you see this part you did because you know because that's that's called show running you walked up to her and said hey um and i don't think you even got it out but i think she just was staring said, she's not fat enough is she no she's not she's not fat enough you uh, you want me to do it? Yeah, that would be. Would you be interested? I don't know whether you know. I think even you were trying to dance around the subject. And she said, "Yeah, but you got to give me a line," because she's smart, right? Just it doesn't have to be on screen. Just got to give me a line, which we did right then. And the joke much much funnier because she was sort of sp- spilling out. I mean, she was really. It was two seats she needed, and you know that's that. that I've always used that. I've used that example as like okay, that is partly what you do when you're show running. You say, I know this is going to be awkward and weird and unpleasant and it could hurt somebody's feelings, and, but it, it doesn't work, the joke, this way. So you save the joke. Yeah, that's show running, boys. That's show running, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rob, this has been great. Uh, what are you working on now? What can people hear you now? Well, yeah, that's right. Well, uh, I'm, doing, I'm still doing martini shots. Uh, but <laughs> this is, sounds like a joke, but it's not. I'm going to start redoing them again and just like podcasting because everybody listened to it was podcasting anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm just going to start doing them probably in another couple of weeks. But right now I'm doing them for Irish Radio. Irish Radio called me up and said, hey, keep doing them. Uh, and so and they're, they're actually paying me more than KCRW. Not a lot more, but, you know, it's like I got a raise. Uh, and so, but I'm gonna do them. Instead of yeah, exactly. Kind yeah. of, yes, yeah, kind of. Um, it's, it's it's a currency hedge because they're paying me in pounds or something. So, um, yeah. So I'm gonna do that, and um, uh, and then I'm also writing out doing a project right now for Fox, uh, uh, called The Texanist, 
and um, it's based on a, a Texas monthly column called The Texanist, where people uh, in Texas write in, it's an advice column, they write in and ask questions about what the true Texas way is. So, you know, hey, listen, I'm, you know, fifth generation Texan, but I want to wear skinny jeans. Am I allowed to? Or like, I'm just moved here from um, Santa Barbara and we're not crazy about all the guns. Do we need to, all that stuff. And he kind of like talks you through it. And it's kind of very funny. So the, the writer, he, the writer's name is David Courtney, really wonderful writer. And um, we've got Thomas Hayden Church is going to play the Texanist. So I'm thrilled oh, about that. Oh, great. Um, and now all that's left to do is for me to write the fucking script. Oh, well, go, <laughs> go do that. <laughs> Rob, this has been great. Thank Thanks, you so Paul, much. much. Anytime. And that will do it. More like my dinner with Andre, but with Rob Long. Our thanks to Rob. Also, thanks to Adam and Susie Meister, Butler, Howard Hoffman, John Wolfert, and Bruce and Jason Miller. Want to get in touch with me? Easy to do. My email address is hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. That's hollywoodlevine at outlook.com. I am on Twitter. Everyone's on Twitter, at Ken Levine. I'm also on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. Thanks so much for listening. Stay safe. Wear a mask. Vote. And I will talk to you next week. Bye. Hollywood and Levine. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.